Minehead Baptist Church Sermon Podcast for Sunday the 17th of September 2017. Hello and welcome, thank you once again for joining me. My name's James and I'm the web guy here at NBC. This week Tim's continuing looking at our series of faith, hope and love and this week he's focusing on love. The reading is 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We'll hear the reading and then Tim will start the sermon. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It is not rude, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. Now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part... Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Amen. Wonderful. Hopefully there's a PowerPoint coming up any second. It'll get there. As it comes up, just mention that uh, we're going to continue today uh, thinking about those three vital aspects of our life as God's people. And uh, we've just heard, and now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. And today, our focus is on love. A story was told a few years ago about an actor who was playing the part of Jesus. Now, just in case anybody knows this actor, it wasn't this one, okay? But I just used it in an illustration. He was performing the role of Jesus in a passion play. And as he carried the cross up a hill, a bystander in the crowd began heckling him and shouting insults. Finally, the actor had had enough. He'd had all he could take. So he threw down the cross, walked over to the bystander, and punched him. (laughs) After the play was over, the director told him, I know he was a pest, but I have to fire you. We just can't have you behaving this way while playing the part of Jesus. The actor begged, please give me one more chance. I can handle it if it happens again. So the director decided to give him another chance. The next day, he was once again carrying his cross up the street. 
And sure enough, the heckler was back. You could tell the actor was really, really trying to control himself. But it was about to get the best of him. He was clenching his fists and grinding his teeth. And finally, he looked at the heckler and he said, I'll meet you after the resurrection. (laughs) You know, (laughs) I love that story. You know, sometimes it's really hard for those who profess to be Christians to behave like Christians should. We try to carry our crosses, but it's somehow, if somebody crosses us, then we tend to lose our equilibrium and our patience. And we behave in much the same way as anybody else does. But the Bible teaches us that we are to be people who exercise love in all of our relationships with one another. Listen to these words. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. And again, from Hebrews. Make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy. Now, each of these really is saying the same thing. It may be difficult sometimes, and not everybody will be easy to love. But if it's possible, we are to live in peace and harmony with everyone. Now, last Saturday, I had the privilege of taking Sophie and Rob's wedding here. And uh, they chose that familiar reading we've just heard from 1 Corinthians as their reading for their marriage service. And it's really appropriate for a wedding, and it often gets used. But we need to beware of relegating it to just thinking about people getting married because that wasn't the context that Paul was writing to at all. These words were written to a church which really needed to get a grip on its relationships and how it related together. And so these words about love inform us today of what Paul describes in verse 1. Now I will show you the most excellent way. The most excellent way. So let's have a think about this for a few minutes this morning. And the first thing I want us to think about is the importance of love in our lives. Paul is really saying, I want to show you the best way to take care of virtually every situation you ever come across. And that is the way of love. And then he points out that love is more important than four other things that Christians consider to be really important. And the interesting thing is sometimes we get them the wrong way round. Okay, so those four things we're just going to very briefly zip through. Love is more important than spiritual gifts. Now, for some of us, that's a bit of an ouch, because we'd really like more spiritual gifts. But Paul says that love 
is more important than them. Remember that uh, beginning part where it says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. We know, don't we, that on the day of Pentecost, when the very first gospel sermon was ever preached, God gave the apostles the gift of tongues and they communicated to the crowds in their own languages the good news about Jesus. And elsewhere in Corinthians, Paul talks about tongues and the other spiritual gifts and highlights their value and their significance in building up the church and equipping the people of God for ministry in lots of different ways. And as you know, I speak on this regularly. It's something that's really important, of real value. So Paul wasn't outlawing or denigrating spiritual gifts. He was simply pointing to the fact that love is a higher force and has eternal significance. It is the highest force of all. So what about those gongs and symbols? Well, back in the first century, there was normally a big gong or a set of symbols hanging at the entrance of most of the pagan temples. And when people came to worship, they would hit those gongs to try to awaken all the pagan gods. You know, they had to be woken up every time people went into the temple so that they might listen to their prayers. And so, really, what Paul is saying is this, that even if he was so blessed that he could speak with the greatest of eloquence in every language, but didn't have love, then his life was as useless as this ridiculous act of pounding on a gong to awaken non-existent gods. You see, love is more important than any spiritual gift. But he also says that love is more important than knowledge. There's other people here who are going, rats, because they like knowledge, they like learning, they like theory, they like theology, some of them. But what he's saying is, if you had the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, but have not love, I'm nothing. Paul says that even if you know it all, if you know everything there is to know about nuclear science or about medicine or philosophy or psychology or every other ology you can think of, but you don't have love, then it means nothing at all. Why is that? Well, Paul says something quite similar. He points it out simply in 1 Corinthians 8. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. That's a big thing to understand, isn't it? And to comprehend. There is an underlying recognition here that knowledge and information are pointless unless that knowledge is applied into lives which are changed. And the thing is that love is the vehicle 
through which knowledge, information and instruction finds expression. Many of you will have heard me comment at other times on graceless Christians who may have great theological understanding but who can be a complete dichotomy in that the knowledge they have isn't put into the practice of expressing grace and love in their relationships. And if we're not expressing grace and love in our relationships, then I don't care how many Bible verses you can quote at me. I don't care how good you are at memorizing scripture. I don't care how many things you might know about God if we're not putting it into action. If it's not finding a reality in lives of love, Paul says, it's worth nothing. Now, in no way is Paul denigrating learning or study, but it needs to be done with the desire to be doers of the word, not just hearers. And the bottom line is that I don't think we need more knowledge near as much as we need more love. Does that make sense? When we look at our world, how much more knowledge do we need? How much more technology do we need? When we look at the reality of people's lives, how much more do we need love? How much more does our world need the reality of God's love. For the hearts of people need to change before our society will change. So love is more important than spiritual gifts. It's more important than knowledge. Here's a really tricky one for good evangelicals. Are you ready for it? Love is more important than faith. Ouch! Now, he's not saying that faith isn't important. Don't misunderstand it. He just says that love is more important. If I have a faith that can move mountains but have not love, I am nothing. So what is your faith? What do you believe for sure this morning? Do you believe that God is the creator of the world? Do you believe that Jesus Christ is his only begotten son? And that he came into our world and he lived a sinless life? And that he died and was buried and on the third day rose again? Do you believe that? Do you believe he's now at the right hand of the Father and he's preparing a place for us and that one day he's going to come again? Do you believe that? What if you do? Brilliant. Well and good, as they used to say. We're commended for that. But the Bible teaches that if you believe all the right things but you don't have love, You're nothing. Because even faith is of no value unless it's backed up by love. When we thought about faith a couple of weeks ago, 
you may remember that we summarized it in this way. We said that faith needs to be belief, visible, and received. We talked about faith being a response to circumstances. It couldn't be left on its own. It had to be applied. That faith needs to grow and develop. It needs to be alive. And faith needs to be expressed in action. And all of those points, when you slot them together, actually connect with what Paul is saying here. What he's expressing here isn't in contradiction to that. It's actually just pointing out that all of those things find their fulfillment in love. Do you remember Jesus' parable of the Good Samaritan? The priest and the Levite in the parable had faith. They had belief. The problem was they had no love. And so they walked by on the other side and just left the man lying there to die. In Galatians 5, Paul says these words, The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. There's that connecting point once more. We need to hold that as a reality that we live by. Here's another one. How many of you like doing things for other people? Yeah? Okay, there's lots of you, and I know there's loads of you because of so much of what we engage with as a church family. But hear this one too. Love is more important than generosity. Paul says, If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames but have not love, I gain nothing. Now notice he doesn't say if I give 10%. Okay? He says if I give the whole of my current account and my savings account, if I cash in all my insurance policies, if I give away everything to help the poor and even sacrifice myself, but if I don't have love, then I'm not gaining anything at all. See, generosity by itself is not enough. Now, I get calls all the time, and I'm sure you do too, from people appealing for funds. Do you ever get those begging phone calls and letters and all that stuff? I tell you what, I get more, because I get all the ones on behalf of the church too. And, uh, you know, all the Christian charities that are asking for money as well. So I'm always getting them. But why do we give? Why do we give? Do we give because the preacher just preached a sermon on giving? Do we give because we feel guilty? Do we give because we want to impress other people that we've given? If the only reason that I give is to receive or to have some benefit to myself, then love is absent. And giving is empty. Paul is really pointing to the heart motivation behind all of our actions. 
Now, this is a real challenge, isn't it? And it goes deep into who we are as human beings. Because the reality is that we often have mixed motives, don't we, when we do things. It's not as clear-cut as I've just sort of indicated. We have that mix of genuine concern, but also mixed with a, well, I feel good doing this. There's that mix of attitudes and understanding as we engage with things. But there is often an aspect in our giving which benefits ourselves. Now, that's not necessarily wrong. Don't misunderstand me. It's not necessarily wrong. But the thing is, there are times when we're called to love, when there are no possible benefits to ourselves, and we're told to do it cheerfully. Will we love when nothing comes back? When it's thrown back in our faces sometimes? How will we love The thing is, we are to model the same kind of love that God has shown to us as his people. Undeserved, unrestrained, and unconditional. Because that's how God's loved us. And the motive for giving should be love. Love for God and love for the people that God loves. So Paul is saying that love is more important than spiritual gifts, more important than knowledge, more important than faith, and more important than generosity. And really, this whole section is about practicing love in our everyday. That's what it comes down to. Making love the thing that is the most important thing. So obviously love is important, and maybe, maybe more than we've ever realized. Listen to what Jesus says in John 13. Or do you want to read it with me? That's better. Make sure you're awake. A new commandment I give you. Love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. Now notice that Jesus says that this is a commandment, not a suggestion. Yeah? There's a difference between those two, isn't there? And God never commands us to do anything that we cannot achieve. He never asks us to do something that isn't possible for us to actually put into action. The thing is, we tend to think that love is something that just happens because that's what the world teaches. You fall in love like you fall in a ditch. Or you fall out of love just like you fall out of a tree. You can't help it. It's something that just happens to you. Well, that's rubbish. The Bible teaches that love is something we can control. God commands us to love each other. That means that I can decide to love you, and you in turn can decide to love me. 
So this isn't a hopeless situation or a, a situation of chance at all. And what kind of love is being talked about here? Well, it crops up in Philippians 4, uh, in Philippians 2. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. In other words, to love in the same way that Jesus has loved. To think about others and their interests, just like you think about your interests and what really motivates you. It's about becoming unselfish. So let's think how we apply it. And of course, the first thing that we do is in our family. In our family. How would that work in our families? Let's suppose that someone in every family represented here, and it may be in your household or it may be in a wider family, if all of us were to say, I'm going to go home and put this into practice. Maybe starting with our spouse, that you ought to love your husband or your wife first and most. That you ought to be kinder, more tender, more gentle to them, even if they're behaving like a pain. So it begins first in that closest of relationships, but it, it filters down into the wider relationships in our families too, doesn't it? In our children, maybe with our in-laws, everybody else that we're connected with, and maybe in those that we regard as family, even if they're not blood relatives, just because you love them. And that's the call that God makes on us. It's love in our family, but it's also love in our church and in the world. It begins in the family and it then spills over into the church family and into our relationships in the wider community. In fact, Jesus said this, by this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you... It's really simple, isn't it? Shall I just go home? You know, the heart of the gospel is not complicated. The heart of what we are to be isn't difficult. It might be hard to put into action, but it's not really difficult to grasp. By this, all men will know you are my disciples if you love one another. That's the way the world will find out that the message of Jesus is valid and real and true. And if we really love each other the way that Jesus loves us, then we have to develop in our own lives the same kind of compassion that Jesus had. For people. Now, I don't know about you, but I know it's a reality that it's easy to become cynical and hard to the needs and the circumstances around us. I think sometimes it's due to the constant barrage and exposure to the needs of the world, where we can feel overwhelmed 
And so we become hardened to the pain that other people are going through. It's part of this technological age, isn't it, when we're bombarded with images. And, and the reality is we can't cope with the needs of everything that we see on our television screens. We can't possibly carry the burdens of every disaster that is reported in the news. Because if you do, you'll crumple, won't you? And our natural defenses are that we just harden ourselves. And we actually put up a little bit of a barrier between our emotions and the realities that we're being faced with consistently. Now, I'm not putting guilt in here. Please don't misunderstand me. There is no guilt in this. It's just facing the reality of the world we live in. The thing is that we need to let God melt our hearts where they need to be melted. On the Alpha Course, Nicky Gumbel quotes Jackie Pullinger, who once began a very memorable talk by saying these words. God wants us to have soft hearts and hard feet. The trouble with many of us is that we have hard hearts and soft feet. And Nicky points out that Jackie was willing to give up sleep and food and comfort in order to serve other people. She had a soft heart filled with compassion. The toughness was in her feet and not her heart. Her feet became quite hard and calloused because they took her to places where she could help and love and express compassion. Now, we cannot possibly meet the needs of every situation that is bombarded into our brains and into our lives. We just can't do that. But we can, with God's guidance, engage with the things in our power to impact. When it comes down to it, it's about the people that we are in connection with, the people that we see, the people that we come across, the people sometimes who are literally lying in front of us across the road. What does God say to us in the places that we can impact? The people around us and the issues and causes that God puts in our hearts, if we will open our hearts to his love and his compassion. What's it like to hurt deep inside and no one knows you're hurting and you don't feel free to tell them that you're hurting? What's it like being sick and knowing you're not going to get well and wanting more than anything to still live? What's it like to be handicapped What's it like to be a minority? What's it like to be dealing with marital problems or domestic problems? What's it like? 
And the reality is we know, don't we, even in this room today, the issues and things that people are carrying, which are huge and painful and a struggle. The things which do bow us down and where we need the compassion and care of one another to make a difference. To bring us to a place where the love of God sustains us where the love of God comes into its own where the love of God is expressed and received and brings wholeness what kind of burdens are people carrying and do we care enough to help them to bear those burdens. That's what it means when Jesus talks about loving one another as he has loved us. There's a story about a missionary called Doug Nichols. Nichols. And I think it summarizes, I, I sort of nick this from another preacher, you know, you do this all the time. And it illustrates what we've been thinking about today. Doug Nichols went to India. I don't know when this was, but it's a good story. <laughs> went to India. But while he was just starting to study the language, he developed tuberculosis and he had to be put in a sanatorium. It was not a very good place to be. It was not very clean and conditions were difficult because there were so many sick people there. But Doug decided to do the best he could in that situation. And being an evangelist and a missionary, he took some Christian books and tracts and he tried to witness to the other patients in a sanatorium. He tried to witness, but he was handicapped because of his inability to communicate very well in their language. And he felt so discouraged. He tried to pass out Christian tracts and books, but no one would take them. Here he was, because of his illness, he would be there for a long time, but it seemed like the work that he'd come to India to do would not be done because no one would listen to him. Because of his tuberculosis, every night at about two o'clock, he'd wake up with chronic coughing that wouldn't quit. And then one night when he awoke, he noticed across the aisle an old man trying to get out of bed. He said the man would roll himself up into a little ball and rock back and forth trying to get up the momentum to get up and stand on his feet. But he just couldn't do it. He was too weak. Finally, after several attempts, the old man laid back and wept. The next morning, Doug understood why the man was weeping. He was trying to get up to go to the bathroom and didn't have enough strength to do that. So his bed was a mess and there was a smell in the air. And the other patients made fun of the old man. The nurses came to clean up his bed and they weren't kind to him either. In fact, one of them slapped him on the face. Doug said that the old man just laid there and cried. Doug said, that next night, about two o'clock, I started coughing again. And I looked across the way and there was the old man trying to get out 
bed once more. I really didn't want to do it, but somehow I managed to get up and I walked across the aisle and I helped the old man stand up. But he was too weak to walk, so Doug said, I took him in my arms and carried him like a baby. He was so light that it wasn't a difficult task. I took him into the bathroom, which was nothing more than a dirty hole in the floor, and I stood behind him and supported him in my arms as he took care of himself. Then I carried him back to his bed and laid him down. As I turned to leave, he reached up and grabbed my face and pulled me close and kissed me on the cheek and said what I think was thank you. Doug said the next morning there were patients waiting when I awoke and they asked if they could read some of the books and tracts that I brought. Others had questions about the God that I worshipped and about his son who came into the world to die for them. Doug Nichols says that in the next few weeks he gave out all of the literature that he'd brought and during the months that he was there, many of the patients and even doctors and nurses in that sanatorium came to accept Jesus as their saviour too. He said, now what did I do? I didn't preach a sermon. I couldn't even communicate very well in their language. I didn't have a brilliant lesson to teach them or wonderful things to show them. All I did was take an old man to the bathroom. And anyone can do that. Someone has said these words. They will not care how much you know until they know how much you care. So today, in our focus on love, there is a more excellent way. And that's the way of Jesus. That we need to understand the importance of love. That it's more important than spiritual gifts and knowledge and faith and generosity. That it goes beyond and supersedes each one of those. Not that they're not important, don't misunderstand. But we need to keep them in the correct order. And we need to be practicing love in our everyday because it is a choice and a decision of how we live and what we do in our families, in our church, and in our world. Our series the last three weeks was based on words from the end of 1 Corinthians. And now these three remain. Faith, hope, and love. And how's it finish? Amen. Let's just be still for a moment. Father God, this morning, I pray that you would help us once more to grasp how much you love us. And whatever else we've thought of today, it starts in our experience of your grace and your mercy to realize what you gave that we might know your hope, 
and joy and peace, to experience love in our relationship with you. And today, Father, we don't want to wallow in guilt or on what we've not done. But we do want to offer ourselves afresh. That, Father God, you might stir us to be so enveloped in your love that we live love in all of the relationships we have. We pray, Lord, for our families. Help us to show you and your grace in how we live together. We pray, Lord, for our church, for all of the burdens that each other are carrying, for those we're aware of and all those secret things that people carry and are struggling to have the courage to admit to. Lord, may we love with a love that is genuine and real and that goes right into the heart of the places where people need our care. And Lord, may we know it's never somebody else's job, it's always ours to love. And Father, as a church, we are committed to express your love in practical ways and in words to communicate the good news of Jesus to our world and this community. We pray for all the things we engage with which seek to make an impact through activities that we run but also in the lives we lead. May your love motivate and energize all of those relationships. In the precious name of Jesus. Amen. To leave us a comment on the sermon, please go to mindhead-baptist.com slash sermons. Well, thank you once again for listening, and I'll speak to you soon.